Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. All right, so we have been looking at the Beatitudes. A uh, little, little plug here. Uh, John Tyson, that person that... Um, Meg just mentioned, just started a new series on the Beatitudes. Uh, so you can find his podcast online. It's a great introduction to the idea of Beatitudes. It'll just reinforce what we've been learning and what we've been thinking about here. So I'd encourage you, let me know. I can help you find that if you have a hard time finding it. But we're looking at the Beatitudes again, just a reminder. All, we've got a group of disciples that are gathered outside like this of all different ages, of all different kinds of backgrounds, people from all over listening to Jesus talk about what the kingdom of God is like and what it's going to look like to be his disciples. And so they're doing just what you're doing. They're gathered together in little pockets like this, and they're listening and they're learning what does it look like to be the kingdom of God. And Jesus is talking about those people who he thinks that in his kingdom are the most highly favored, the most blessed, that, that if they knew how favored and blessed they are, they would truly be happy. That's this word that Jesus kind of talks about. And so he, he starts talking about this. Today we're on this one. He says this. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So this is, again, one of those ones where on the surface we know kind of what it means, right? We, we in generally know what purity is. So when something is pure, it's something that's without contamination, that's without distortion. Uh, it's helpful to kind of even just visualize. So I've got one water here. If you don't know, if you ever, I'm just a little, this is a personal selfish plug. I love Fiji water. So if anyone ever shows up with a bottle of Fiji water, free hugs from me. I love Fiji water. But that's not what it normally looks like. This is like full of dirt and contaminants, right? Normally, water that you drink should look like this. This is impure water. You don't want to drink this. You'd probably get sick. This is pure water. Actually, they go to great lengths to take water that does look like this to make it look like this, right? So have this visual in, in your mind. This is something that's, that you don't want to drink. There are impurities in it. This is something that you, that you would want to drink. So this word pure is a, something that means without contamination, without distortion. Uh, sometimes we talk about the value of something being tied to its purity. So a precious metal or a diamond is worth more when there's less impurities in it. So the more pure it is, the more value it has. So this is going to be interesting as we talk about this. So the Bible often talks about purity in terms of rituals, in terms of ritual purity, especially the, the law and the Hebrew scriptures. The first half of your Bible talks about ritual purity. So uh, there are certain kinds of washings that the, that the people of God were, had to do or certain things they had to stay away from, certain foods that they, they, they couldn't eat. And all of that was related to worship of God. It's ritual purity. It's not necessarily morally good or bad. It was God's way of setting his people apart. And they were either ritually pure or ritually impure. Okay, so purity also has to do with like character or moral action as well. So there is either good and pure actions that are beneficial and loving to people or impure actions that are not beneficial and good and loving to people. And so the Bible talks about purity in that way. Well, Jesus says here, pure of heart, pure of heart. So what does pure of heart mean? So that Jesus is all about 
cutting through the exterior to get to the heart of the matter, to get beneath what we see on the surface to, to seeing what's actually underneath. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Oftentimes we'll see Jesus talk about like, you've heard it said, but I say, or he says, look, if you, if he, just a couple of verses or a couple chapters later, Jesus is going to say, you're not supposed to murder anybody, right? And, and all the people around, God, around Jesus would have said, yeah, we know we're not supposed to mur murder anyone. And Jesus basically says, you're not even supposed to be angry at anyone because he's pulling back the curtain from the surface to what's going on on the inside. And this idea is not new to Jesus. This idea of purity of heart is not new to Jesus. This runs all throughout the scriptures too. Sometimes we have this picture that in the Old Testament, God really cared about our behaviors and what we do and didn't do. And in the New Testament, God cares about the heart. That's not true. God has always cared about the heart. It has just looked different in different seasons. So let me give you an example. Jesus in this, in this passage, blessed are the pure of heart, is borrowing from the Psalms, just like he has in almost every one of these Beatitudes. So Psalm 24, here's what it says. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded on the seas and he established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord and stand in his holy place? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. It's the exact same word. So Jesus is literally copying and pasting that in here. And in the context, we're actually talking about people that are going up to the city of Jerusalem. You always talk about going up to Jerusalem because it sits on a hill. So you go up to the city of Jerusalem where the temple of God was, where the presence of God was. And so he's saying, who is worthy to go up and meet with God in the temple? And he says, only those with clean hands and a pure heart. So what does it mean to have a pure heart? All right. So we know that purity is about something being as it should be. There's no distortion. There's no contaminants in it. There's nothing dividing it. There's nothing that's bringing down its value. Okay, so that's purity. Heart in the Bible, we often associate heart with just emotions, but heart in the Bible has to do with the deepest desires that you have. So not just your feelings, but your will, your devotion, your intention. So everything that you do in life is motivated by something inside of you. Like, we're not just like robots that are programmed. We have something inside of us that motivates us to do certain things. And the heart is that place inside of us where we're motivated to do what we do. It's our, our place of desire, our love, our intention. Yes, we feel there, but, it, but if we were to able to pull back our heart, we would find out what are you really all about. So that's what the heart is about. So purity and heart, if we put those things together, it means at the deepest places of myself, I have an undivided and uncontaminated desire or will. The deepest places of myself. I know this is a little heady. We're going somewhere with this. So, so at the deepest places, I am uncontaminated. I, I have no division. There's nothing that's bringing down my worth or my value at the deepest places of my desire and my love and the things that I love. Got it? Make sense? All right. So does that mean then that what Jesus is saying is when he talks about pure of heart, that he means that you never have any bad desires ever in your life. Is that what he's getting at? Because that's what it might seem to be that what Jesus is saying is those who are pure in heart are those who only ever have good motives. Well, again, Jesus is really keyed in and really cares about our motives and cares about what's on our, in our heart. But that's not exactly what he's getting at here. And how do we know that? 
Because look at the promise that comes with this, that those who are pure in heart will see God. And whenever we look at these beatitudes, we see the promise or the reward that's at the end. It tells us what the first part of the beatitudes about. So whatever this is about, it's about the, at the end, the promise, the reward that you get is you get to see God. Okay. So what that tells us is that this idea of being pure in heart is tied to that reward. So if we kind of back up and we think about the heart as this place where it's undivided, where, where it's pure in its devotion, what is it purely and devoted to? God. So to be pure in your heart is to have undivided love and loyalty for God. Where there's no competing values in my life, nothing that takes a higher place in my heart and my desire and my will than what God places in my life. More than just wanting to be morally good, it's actually something about desiring God himself. So going back to Psalm 24, that Psalm that I said, it's about entering into the temple for worship. It actually says in verse six, that the generation who seek the face of God, that that generation will be blessed. So it tells us right there in the Psalm that whatever else this is about, it's about people who are seeking the face of God. So this idea of being pure in heart means I've got one singular focus in my heart. I've got undivided attention in my heart. So those who are pure in heart are those who have undivided love and loyalty for God. That's what this means. And the context makes it clear because Jesus says, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get God if you desire God. It's like, isn't that cool? It's like, if you desire God, you're going to get God. It's, it's like, it, it sounds super simple. It's actually way more complex than that. But this undivided and uh, love and loyalty for God means that there's nothing else taking up space in my heart, nothing else taking desires up in my heart, that every other love or desire, it's not competing with my love for God. So it doesn't mean, let me be clear, that doesn't mean we can't love things and love people. It just means that those loves are not competing with my love for God. It means everything else takes a second. And it's not just like it's right behind me. It's like it's way back there. My love for God so far exceeds everything else. That's what it means to be pure in heart. And Jesus says that person will get their reward. If God is the desire of your heart, you will get God as the desire of your heart. Now, let's have a moment of honesty. That's what it means, but what it actually means to us and how it relates to us is very different because I don't know about you. I can believe that that's true in my head and know it in my head, but in my heart, there are often competing desires. There are very often, if not all the time, things that, that want to present themselves as more important than the love for God. I'm often finding myself com having these competing loves where I know I should give my whole heart and devotion to God, but there are so many other things that are like vying for my attention. And, and so I love God, but I also love all different kinds of things about God. And I have lots of different desires about lots of different kinds of things. So the truth is, I don't know that many of us ever have really experienced on this earth what it means to be pure of heart the way that Jesus is talking about. Maybe the closest, like, have you ever been like working on a project or like doing something where you're just in the flow? 
You know, we're like, it doesn't matter what else is going on in the world around you. You're just, you're just dialed in. Like, it could be storms raging around you. Someone could be calling your name in the other room, and you're just completely ignorant of it, right? Has that ever happened to you? Every once in a while, I'll be doing something, and I'm just like, I'm just in the flow. Like, I'm just, I'm just in it, right? And there are moments in my life with God, usually when there's no, no one else around, where I feel that way with God. Anyone else? Where it's like, man, I can be pure of heart when there's no people around <laughs> and I don't have any responsibilities. That's not exactly what we're aiming for. We're not aiming for these moments where it feels like I've got purity of heart. We're aiming for at the depths of ourselves, there's something deeper. The truth is my heart, and I think probably if you're honest, doesn't feel like there's undivided love and loyalty to God. So what do we do? So what do we do about that? How do, how do we respond? So here's how it helps me to think about this. As it relates to my experience, the thing that I actually experience, being pure of heart is less a state of being that I accomplish and more of a process that I'm in. So as it, as it relates to being pure of heart, it's less a state of being that I accomplish and more like a process that I'm in. I think if we are looking at ourselves introspectively and saying, is there anything in here that is any divided? And we will spend the rest of our lives doing that. Like, you're, you're, it's just going to be, it's just going to be the case. There's always going to be things in us that are competing for that place that God is meant to have in our life. And so it's more of a process. When my love and my loyalty feels divided, what then I have to do is like check those moments where I recognize that. So it's not about that I never have them. It's that when I recognize, hey, there's something else that's competing for my love and my attention other than God. There's something else that's trying to occupy a place. Maybe it's safety. Maybe it's well-being. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's desire for something like kids or of a house. Maybe it's uh, for accomplishments in career or a sense of purpose. Like any of those things can kind of kind of rear up at any point in time and become more important to us than our love and loyalty to God, right? And so that's where we have to be really careful that we, when we recognize those things, that we keep those things in check, that we're constantly in a state of surrender. We're constantly in a state of going, I can feel that that's coming up. I need to like check that and I need to put put that in its place and put God back in the throne of my heart. Dallas Willard says, says this about being a disciple. He says that disciples simply are people who are constantly revising the affairs of their life to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. They're constantly revising the, so constantly saying internally, I'm going, what, what, what's going on inside of me that doesn't have Jesus first? It doesn't have my love for God first. What inside of me feels like it's trying to find meaning and value outside of the meaning and value that I find in God's love for me and my love for him. So I'm just constantly in that state of revising. There's never going to be a time, I don't think, on the face of this planet where I don't have some kind of competition going on in my heart. So the goal isn't that I just become this whitewashed person. Jesus has taken care of that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. The goal is that every time I recognize that there's something in my, in my heart that doesn't love or pursue God first, that I'm putting it in its proper place. You with me? So when I have other agendas and, and other things in my heart, I want to keep 
I want to keep revising that. I want to keep checking that. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the different like um, home renovation shows. Jen will tell you that one of my biggest annoyances when they do like a home renovation show and they're like putting all the decor in the living room or the family room, in these shows, they never put a living room back together the way normal people live. Like, have you ever noticed this? And how you can tell is because the TV is off in some weird corner that you can't see, right? No one that I know that watches TV has a TV back behind you where you can't see. It's front and center in your house. And all the chairs in your living room are fixed around the TV, right? It's the centerpiece of most people's living room. It's, it's just how we're wired. And so when I watch these shows, I'm like, that's really disingenuous. I know you want the fireplace to be the center of the room, but the TV is going to be the center of the room. And I'm, that's a, this is a, a bad comparison because I'm, what I'm not saying is that you should have the TV as the center of your room. What I'm saying is what we should do is take stock in our heart of what is the center of our life. Because the chances are that your time, your energy, your resources is kind of like that living room that's orienting around something. You've kind of organized your life just like the chairs of your living room around something. You might want it to be God, but if you actually looked, is it actually God? Or has something else taken that place? And I think that what we do is we constantly look at the living room of our lives and say, okay, is there anything that like we've organized life around that is not Jesus? Because if it's not, then we need to put him back in the center. Not out of a sense of duty to follow him, but out of a sense of he is my beloved and I am his. Like he loves me and he wants to know me and he wants me to know him. And so if I'm missing that, I'm missing out on what life is actually all about. So let's think about the promise. I'm going to land this here in just a minute. The promise is that for those who are pure in heart, they will see God. Those who are pure in heart, they will see God. Now, we cannot read this and think that unless I am in that perfect pure of heart state where my experience of life is that I never have any other competing loves in my life, I won't be able to see God. That's not what Jesus means here. And other parts, Jesus says, if your eye causes to sin, gouge it out. And, and if your arm causes you to sin, chop it off. And he clearly didn't mean for his disciples to do that because we'd all be like a bunch of one-armed disciples everywhere. We'd have like an eye patch and one arm everywhere, right? Like, like it wasn't his intent for, for us to say, unless you achieve that state, you won't see God. But what he's trying to say is, look, the people who have decided to live their life with God as their ultimate love and devotion in their life, the promise for you is that you will see God. And that that is actually something that we should pursue in our life. There's actually no other greater goal in our life than our eternity with God. I want to say it again. There's no greater goal in your life than the, your eternity with God. I know that right now it feels like life can drag on forever. This is just a blip on a giant radar. That is the rest of your life where you will get to spend eternity with God in heaven. Actually, you'll spend eternity here on earth as God makes all things new. And every disease is wiped away and every tear is wiped away. And we, the promise of revelation is that we'll see God face to face. That is awesome. That is the goal of my life. Honestly, I love you guys, but that is the goal, not just building a good church. I love my family, but, but my family could go tomorrow. But what I have for me is eternity with God forever and ever. We've got to somehow reshift our priorities 
and think about what does eternity look like? Because not, not just because of something that's far off in the distance, because it actually affects what we pursue today. It pursues, helps us understand what we pursue right here and now. So the promise and the good news is that we will see God, eternity face to face. But there's actually something else. I think if we were to have Jesus here with us and say, Jesus, when you said that, what did you, what did you mean? I think that Jesus is actually telling us something that if we have undivided loyalty, I'm sorry, if, if we have divided loyalty, if we have competing loves, that we're oftentimes not likely to see God right here and right now. That if we have competing loves, competing desires, things that are competing for our attention, that oftentimes if we have those things, that we're going to miss when God is right in front of us in our everyday life. How do I know that? Because the disciples that follow Jesus and the Pharisees and all the people around them had all different kinds of agendas and things that they thought God should be like. They had different desires in their heart about what they thought it should be. And almost all of them, with the exception of 12, maybe 120 if we're really generous, before the resurrection of Jesus, every person who Jesus ever did a miracle for, all missed that God was right in front of them their entire life. They completely missed it. Jesus walks among them. He reveals there's no one who has ever walked on earth who demonstrated who God was more than Jesus. He is God in flesh. And almost every person he comes in contact with completely misses that this is God in front of you in the flesh. Isn't that amazing? That blows my mind that that could be the case. But the thing is, if your heart is divided and you're looking for other things other, th- other than God, you'll often miss how God is right with you in the midst of things. You'll often miss what he's trying to say to you because you're trying to get him to say some other thing. You'll, you'll miss how he's trying to reveal himself because you want him to be something else than what he actually is. So oftentimes I feel like I'm in a fog, I'm in a daze, I don't know exactly what it is that God is saying, but, but usually I'm asking God to give me an answer to prayer or say something to me or whatever, and, and like God rarely ever changes his tune. It's usually I have to tune my heart to his, and he's so patient and loving and kind with us that, that he's just going to wait until we're ready to get on his page with our hearts. Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, enough with this one. I'm tired of this one. Like God just says, no, I know you're coming to me. There's been so many times, guys, in my life where I feel like I have wanted to see God do something or be something. And I was trying to have this conversation with God. And I'm, I've got one ear over here, but God is over here saying, but Chael, I love you. And I want to know you. And he's saying something completely different to me. But because it's not what I want to hear from God, because it's not what I have my eyes and my mind open, I totally miss this other thing. Have you ever been in your car and you drive somewhere far away from home and your radio station no longer picks up the radio station that was at home? Has that ever happened to you? Like you're, you're like, why is it? Oh, we're out of range, right? Well, God's like that. He's not changing his song that he's singing over us. He's not changing his love and his, his demonstration of his affection towards us. He's just saying, hey, you're, you're trying to find love in all of these places, and I am over here all along. I'm not going anywhere. It's the father and the prodigal son story who's saying, I've been here all along waiting for you to come home and sit at the table. That's, that's how God feels about you. 
So when we have those other agendas and loyalties, we can miss what God is saying in us and above us. And again, I say that not to like shame us. I say that not to make us feel like discouraged or frustrated about that, but just to go, hey, like maybe just slow down and take stock, take check-in. Where is your love? Where is your loyalty right now? Because I know where God's is and it is for you. (laughs) It is for you. So where are these competing loves in your life? Band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Where are there competing loves in your life that are keeping you from seeing God when he's right in the middle of you, he's working in your midst? What are those competing loves? What's the thing vying for your attention? What's the thing that's capturing your heart that is pulling at you, that's trying to give you meaning and value where God is really trying to speak through all of that and give you true meaning and value? What are those competing loves? Now, there's another aspect of good news to all of this that, uh, uh, that we, we absolutely cannot overlook. The good news of the gospel, Psalm 24 asks this question. Who is worthy to ascend the mountain of the Lord and go to the hill? Only that person who has clean hands and a pure heart. Only that person is able to go and meet with God. The entire story of the Bible is about how there is only actually one person who has ever been worthy to do that, and his name is Jesus. He is the only person who has lived with completely clean hands and a completely pure heart, undivided love and loyalty to Jesus. And so he's able to be in the presence of the Father. And if we put our faith and our trust in him, then he opens the way and says, hey, come on, guys, the door is open. So we don't have to get that purity of heart thing perfect because Jesus does for us. And the good news of the gospel is that we are forgiven of every sin, every offense that we have of God, that we are made clean in his sight, that when he sees us, he sees that we have a pure heart because Jesus has given us a new heart. It's part of the promise of receiving salvation is that we are given a new heart. So objectively, it is true that you get to ascend the mountain of the Lord, that you get to worship and experience all that God is as well. It's not just for Jesus. Jesus made a way for you. That is awesome. I, have this, I love the picture in Hebrews of where it says, I believe it's in chapter two, where it shows this picture of Jesus appearing before the Father and before the angels of heaven. He says, look, here are the brothers and sisters you've given me. It's so cool to think that Jesus is going, hey, these are my guys. These are my family. They're, they're here for you, Father. So he has opened up this way for us to be before God without any fear. That is awesome. Without any sense of we have to convince God to do something for us by being so righteous or good, he's saying, no, my son has done that for you. He actually says Jesus is our intercessor. So not only does Jesus make a way, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding on our behalf. And you know what that looks like? It's saying, hey, Father, look at that one. They're so awesome. Look at that one. Look at how good they are. Look at that one. Look at, look at how they're pursuing you. Oh, Father, look at that. They're, they're going astray, but, but let's just woo them back. Let's bring them back into the fold. That is what Jesus is doing on your behalf right now. That's crazy. If you have been given this new heart, the promise of God is that he gives you his spirit and that you get to join in his work of being renewed that you get to become more like Jesus, but you got to be willing and you have to take stock of where are those competing things for this new heart that I've been given. 
There are still the echoes in us of our sinful life that while we were sinners, Christ yet died. Those echoes are still in us trying to drag us back down into the pit. And then the spirit of God is saying in us, hey, I've already freed you from this pit. Let's go and walk. Let's go and set some other people free. That's God's heart for us. It's true and it's good news because you're promised to see God ultimately. But also, I promise you right now, if you'll reorder your loves and your loyalty towards God, you will begin to see God more in your life right now. You'll begin to see the way he's trying to reveal himself. God is not silent. We just don't always have ears to hear. So I'm making it my goal not to wake up tomorrow and have a pure heart, but to keep stock of the things that are competing for the purity of my heart. To check myself and know where is there divided loyalty and love? What am I pursuing in this life? What, what, what is the thing that's getting my attention more than the greatness and the goodness and the glory of God? And I think when we do that, when we put God at the place in our lives, it reorients us. It's like when you've got a broken thing and you put it back together and it functions the way it's meant to actually function, we will receive joy and peace, wholeness, healing. When we put God at the center, when we are really pursuing God with a pure heart, when we have that undivided loyalty and attention, it doesn't mean everything in our life is rosy. It doesn't mean we get everything that we want. It doesn't mean it's easy, but man, there is an ease and a lightness to actually being, worshiping the God that we were made to worship when we're functioning the way that we're meant to function. We'll see God not just the end of our days, but every day. Martin Luther said this, that a heart that knows its place in the world is watching and pondering what God says and rejoicing over God's ideas and his word in our life and in the world. So a person who knows their place in the world is constantly, just like Dallas Willard said, revising everything that's in our heart against who God is, against what God says, and saying, God, am I pursuing that and who you are with utter devotion? So I want to leave us just a minute here to reflect now. So if you could, just bow your head, close your eyes. And just, just ask yourself right now, actually just pray, pray this prayer in your own way. So God, would you search my heart and show me anything that's competing with my love for you. Search my heart. Show me anything that's competing with my love for you. Is there anything that's trying to occupy space in your mind and your heart that only God is meant to occupy? He wants to free you he wants to cleanse you. He wants to make you whole. He wants to reorient what you think will bring value and meaning to your life and instead give you what you were made for, which is a relationship with him. He, just, he so longs to love you and to know you. He wants to walk with you. You've been caught up your whole life with trying to perform for him, trying to make yourself seem worthy a feeling like you're not enough. And God just says, you never, you never had to be enough. 
You didn't have to do that. I'm right here and I love you just as you are. And so if there's something that comes to mind that you feel like has like been competing for your love and your loyalty, you just confess it. Say, God, I think it's this. I think, I think this has been the thing that has been occupying a place in my mind. And God, I want to see you, so I want to lay that down. Now you might just want to ask God to replace what was there with, with love for him. So God, just would you fill my heart with love? Would you fill my heart with love for you? And now I just want to pray for you. As I've been reading my Bible the last couple of weeks, I just keep coming across these passages where the Apostle Paul is praying that people would understand the love of God, not just that they would change their behavior, not that they would just believe the right things, but that they would experience God's love. So I'm just going to pray that over you. So I pray for my friends here today, Jesus, that in the depths of their being, that they would experience the love of God. I pray, Lord, that you would just release your radical grace, your incredible mercy. Justice has been paid. There's no more debt outstanding. Jesus stands victorious over sin. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. And so the, the way has been made forward for you to experience the depths of God's love. So I pray, Holy Spirit, just shed abroad the love of God into my friend's heart and the children and to adults and to our parents and grandparents from every age and generation, just put your love in our hearts. God, reorient our hearts around you. Just go right now, Lord. Bring your peace, bring your love, bring your devotion. God, let our friends here know your devotion to them and the depths of their being so they wake up in the morning with praise on their lips, knowing that I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. Some of you need to repeat it tomorrow morning when you get up. You need to wake up and say, I am loved. You are loved. Release your love, Father. Release your grace, Father. Wrap us right now in your love. Come, Jesus. Would you love us? Would you love us, Lord? Show us your love now. Amen. As you go this week, I really want you to wake up tomorrow morning and experience God's love for you fresh and new. Don't think about your busyness of the day. Don't think about the stresses that lie before you until you have thought about God's love for you. Because the starting place of our love for God is his love for us. Got it?
the starting place of our love for God is his love for us. So don't wake up tomorrow morning and start with, God, I love you and I want to do all these things for you today. I want you to start up and say, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And then just see, does your love and your devotion for God well up in your heart with that simple confession of faith? Amen? Amen. These guys are going to play as we get ready to go. We'll switch over some songs. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. Next Sunday is our last Sunday here. So make sure that you're here. Let's pack the parking lot. All right? We hope that you are encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.